alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, welcome to the Safina Society Nothing But Facts live stream where we have a very, very busy day today. First of all, we have the dua to be recited between Dhuhr and Asr because we are well between Dhuhr and Asr and on a Wednesday and this is such a special time and it's a time that many, many people, they're heedless of, but we're trying to get this going because Jabir ibn Abdullah is the Sahabi who told us that this time was special because of an incident that occurred with the Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam. We've uh, talked about this at length, and he used to seek out this time, and he used to say the special thing about this time is that if you are sincere and you catch that time, that hour, then Allah will give you a sign that your prayer has been answered. Doesn't have to occur right now, but the sign that your prayer has been answered. So let's begin with Hizb al-Nasr. لا إله إلا الله الملك الحق المبين 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 بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن فتحنا لك فتحا مبينا ليغفر لك الله ما تقدم من ذنبك وما تأخر ويتم نعمته عليك ويهديك صراطا مستقيما وينصرك الله نصرا عزيزا وكان عند الله وجيها وجيها في الدنيا والآخرة ومن المقربين وجهت وجهي للذي فطر السماوات والأرض بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نصر من الله وفاته قريب وبشر المؤمنين يا أيها الذين آمنوا كونوا أنصار الله كما قال عيسى بن مريم للحواريين من أنصاري إلى الله قال الحواريون نحن أنصار الله الله لا إله إلا هو الحي القيوم لا تأخذه سنة ولا نوم له ما في السماوات وما في الأرض من الذي يشفع عنده إلا بإذنه يعلم ما بين أيديهم وما خلفهم ولا يحيطون بشيء من علمه إلا بما شاء وسع كرسيه السماوات والأرض ولا يؤده حفظهما وهو العلي العظيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لو أنزلنا هذا القرآن على جبل لرأيته خاشعا متصدعا من خشية الله وتلك الأمثال نضربها للناس لعلهم يتفكرون هو الله الذي لا إله إلا هو علم الغيب والشهادة هو الرحمن الرحيم هو الله الذي لا إله إلا هو الملك القدوس السلام المؤمن المهيمن العزيز الجبار المتكبر سبحان الله عما يشركون هو الله الخالق البارئ المصور له الأسماء الحسنى يسبح له ما في السماوات والأرض وهو العزيز الحكيم أعيد نفسي بالله تعالى من كل ما يسمع بأذنين ويبصر بعينين ويمشي بلجنين ويبطش بيدين ويتكلم بشفتين حصنت نفسي بالله الخالق الأكبر من شر ما أخاف وأحذر من الجن والإنس ما يحضرون عز جار وجل ثناء وتقدست أسماؤه ولا إله غيره اللهم من يجعلك في نهور أعدائي وأعوذ بك من شرورهم وتحيرهم ومكرهم ومكائدهم أطفئ نار من أراد بعداوة من الجن والإنس يا حافظ يا حفيظ يا كافي يا محيط سبحانك يا رب ما أعظم شأنك وأعز سلطانك تحصنت بالله وبأسماء الله وبآيات الله وملائكة الله وأنبياء الله ورسل الله والصالحين من عباد الله حصنت نفسي بلا إله إلا الله محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم اللهم احرسني بعينك التي لا تنام واكنفني بكنفك الذي لا يرام 
وارحمني بقدرتك علي فلا أهلك وأنت ثقتي ورجائي يا غياث المستغيثين يا غياث المستغيثين يا غياث المستغيثين يا درك الهالكين يا درك الهالكين يا درك الهالكين اكفنا شر كل طارق يطرق بليل أو نهار إلا طارق يطرق بخير إنك على كل شيء قدير بسم الله أرقي نفسي من كل ما يؤذي من كل حاسد الله شفائي بسم الله رقيت اللهم رب الناس أذهب الباس اشفي أنت الشافي وعافي أنت المعافي لا شفاء إلا شفاءك شفاء لا يغادر السقم ولا ألم يا كافي يا وافي يا حميد يا مجيد ارفع عني كل تعب شديد واكفني من الحد والحديد والمرض الشديد والجيش العديد واجعل لي نورا من نورك وعزا من عزك ونصرا من نصرك وبهاء من بهائك وعطاء من عطائك وحراسة من حراستك وتأييدا من تأييدك يا ذا الجلال والإكرام والمواهب العظام أسألك أن تكفيني من شر كل ذي شر إنك أنت الله الخالق الأكبر وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا طيبا مباركا فيه والحمد لله رب العالمين ظاهرا وباطنا وعلى كل حال يا رب أرحم الراحمين بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين. Are we ready, Rai, with Abdul Rahman? Or should I do the other one first? Okay. So, earlier this week, Earlier this week, I spoke about 
a very interesting and amazing discovery by an intellectual from Syria by the name of Abdeddaim Al-Kahil. And he's an engineer, he's an intellectual, and but he's somebody who had concern for the Qur'an and he loves to dive deep into the Qur'an and look for what's called Al-I'jaz Al-Raqami for the Qur'an, which is the numerical miracles of the Qur'an. Or the I'jaz means it disallows, it stops something. I'jaz means to stop somebody, to make someone unable. Well, to make someone unable to do what? The I'jaz of the Qur'an is to make someone unable to continue the claim that the Prophet, peace be upon him, authored the Qur'an, or that a human being authored the Qur'an. Now, one of the ways that some of the scholars have, have noted, and it's usually like the dessert. At the end of studying the Qur'an, there's like some dessert. Uh, uh, that little like foot, couple pages of just something that, there's no ruling on it, there's no aqidah on it, it's just, to, uh, to me it's an ajaz. It's something that, it's not fathomable. It's not reasonable to assume that the Prophet ﷺ did this because it would have taken a lot of counting. And we know that the revelation came down in tense moments during times of war. We know the Prophet had a massive family. We know he was the ruling a city that was at war. And we know the revelation came down in such uh, in parts, so many parts, that in order for somebody to put together all these coincidences of numbers, they would need paper everywhere. Just counting them. Most people can't even count them. They need computer algorithms to help them count them, right? Because you have a book that's 600 pages, you're going to sit there counting. It's not easy to do this, right? So if the counting is difficult, the authoring of it is even more difficult. And on top of that, Here's the thing. People say, well, the Prophet never spoke about the numerical miracles in the Qur'an. That's actually a proof that he is not the author of it. Because if you were the author of all sorts of neat riddles and gems in the book, wouldn't you give a hint, right? You wouldn't want to die and people not knowing that this is there. You would give a hint. There is no mention of any of this in the seerah. It actually proves the point that the Prophet has nothing to do with this. Now, I'm repeating this again because we're going to clip this out. And I want to explain the entire thing. Surah Al-Kahf. It's a, it's a story about some youth. And these youth lived in ancient times, before the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, by many, many years, hundreds of years. And they were believers. They were believers just by their fitrah that paganism is wrong. Your mind and your heart have to tell you that uh, idols and bricks and stuff that is just stuff could not do anything so it's just common sense and of course we know the sociology of idolatry it's just a hierarchical system that represents the tribe and only the the people at the bottom who are very ignorant of society they think that these idols actually do anything and if they actually get a result from it our explanation is but can we abudun al-jinn shayateen al-jinn are just fooling them um, and making them think that these idols are effective Okay, so that's the explanation of oracles, medicine men, and all the, uh, the stuff of the past. But these, these youth, the Qur'an says maybe they were three, maybe they were five. Some say three, some say five, some say seven, right? And don't even bother, except a minor, don't even look at it except in, in a minor way. That's not the point. The point is, they fled their king. And then they were 
uh, seeking refuge in a cave. And then they slept in that cave. When they woke up, they realized centuries had passed. Everything was different now. And belief in Allah had taken over the city. They were, they were believers now. And that the king there, he was a good believer, but he was facing a problem, is that his people stopped believing in the afterlife. That's the context of Surah Al-Kaf. Well, the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that they were, they slept for 300 years and add nine more. They slept for 309 years. Now, an atheist wrote or called, contacted Abd al-Da'im al-Kahil, this Syrian um, intellectual, very knowledgeable, and brings out, he does a great job in Dawah, to be honest with you. My, my dad sends me his stuff all the time. That's how I discovered him. So he reaches a lot of people. And he said, are you serious? You believe you're an engineer. You believe that someone lives for 309 years and sleeps for 309 years. Now, this man, he came across something, a concept which is so important. And that concept is that there is never a time where any enemy of the truth, any enemy of Islam, any mocking of the Quran, any uh, attack on the Quran Whenever that happens, it in reality is in what they're mocking is a proof of the truth. We look at it the other way around. It's as if Allah's using them to show us, hey, there's something here, right? It's whatever you all mock and hate, one day, sooner or later, it will sh- uh, there will be a proof of, the, uh, that of, the, of this book in that thing that you're talking about. So he went in and he, he then decided to look into the story of the people of the cave. And he said, I looked in knowing for sure that we will come upon something that is i'jaz. It stops people from this, uh, from what they're saying, uh, the falsehood that they're saying. Keep in mind, believers do not need these miracles. No one's belief is, is going to be, but no, no one's belief is, our aqidah and our belief is not based upon these things, but it definitely gives you like, is your belief in Allah and Islam and the Prophet based upon, like, uh, lions and zebras and contemplation? No, you believe in the truth because of a lot of other things. But those things, when you discover some miracle in nature or some very unique thing in nature, it increases your iman. And that's what it is for us, this, numero- n- this numerical d- observations, let's call them that, numerical observations in the Qur'an, that if they don't really strengthen you and sort of make you say, subhanAllah, this is the word of Allah, this is not the word, no human being could have authored this, then something's wrong with you. Okay, I hate to put it that way, but that's how it is. Well, when he studied this, he discovered something, that the word that they remained, which is the issue at hand, how could you remain for 309 years, is labithu. And that word labithu comes in this passage six times. And he noticed that this word is not used like this in any other surah. It's used, the root, and it has different, um, you know, uh, derivations, is in the Qur'an, not that many times, but it's in the Qur'an. But none of them, in one word, repeated all over. So he took from this, and he said, there has to be something about this. Like that word, it's going to revolve around that. So he closed off the passage from the first mention of the word Labithu to the last mention of the word Labithu. 
Again, Labithu means to remain, which is the issue at hand. How could you remain sleeping for 309 years? And Allah speaks about them. Starting with ayah number 12. Uh, That's the first mention. It then goes into uh, the next ayah, and the next one, and the next one, all the way, on, it's two and a half pages essentially, until ayah number 26. With the last word being, Okay? And remember, he's interested in the numerological, numer- numeric observations of the Quran, so he counted from one to the other and found the number of words is exactly 309 words. There are 309 words in the passage that describes their staying in the cave. That's, that's what he came out with, and he immediately called back, contacted back this person. And that actually sparked the person leaving his atheism. He's an Arab from Muslim background, but sometimes you become atheists. So he, he came back, actually, to the truth. Just from this. So you can't tell me that that has no, uh, no use. Now, when you count these words, and I'm going to put it up in the video that we're going to clip, and I've already put it on my Facebook. When you count them, the waw is a harf, but it is a word. Whereas all the other huruf particles like fa, ba, li, they're all connected to the word. So they're treated as part of the word. But the waw is not treated as part of the word. It's separate. Okay. So when you count them, that's how it is. Another thing people need to know is that lawla is one word in the Arabic language. The word lawla is a, is a one word, even though it consists of two different words, but it's a compound word, right? Every language has compound words, right? So, uh, like doormat is one word, right? Uh, so, lawla, if you look in the Arabic, uh, study Arabic grammar, it is treated as a one word. So, it's very clear, and, and the way that I put it, and you're not going to see it here, obviously, but I put the number on top of every word. I uh, definitely can't see it. But you'll be able to see it when I clip this out and, and overlay the images. Okay. Now, there's another thing that is totally amazing here. I love this part. It's a little extra. So, when you get to the end of this, if you notice, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ala, uh, uh, Sorry, Illa an yasha Allah wadhkur rabbaka idha nasit. Remember your Lord if you forget. And for sure, my Lord will guide me to the best of guidance. Then it says, They stayed in their cave. So it says they stayed in their cave for 300 years. Is the 299th and the 300 word. And then the, the ayah says, was dadu tis'a, and, add, and then add, add nine more, right? And they, they had nine more. a'lamu bima labithu. That's nine words. So literally, the 300, the word 300 is the 300th word in the count. And then it says, and add nine more. Uh, Allah knows how long they stayed. That's the extra nine words. So even in the like the, the construction of the of the the words together to put this passage together the 300 matches with the 300 and the 309 
matches one word for every year that they lived. So point being here is that whenever any of these people, such as some of these extremist uh, Protestant evangelicals who just have nothing to do except attack Islam, they love to attack Islam. And I used to say, I'm not even answering this stuff. It's nonsense. No, I changed my position. I actually now believe whatsoever they say, if you think hard enough, you're going to find something special there. If you think hard enough, you'll find something very special. David, I think his name is David Wood. What's his name? David Woods or David Wood. He's always attacking Islam. Um, Of course, the atheists are, 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 and especially the Arab atheists, familiar with the Quran and familiar with the Hadith. This is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that they seek to put out the light of Allah. But it's never going to happen. right? It's never going to happen. And what you do is, all you are doing is increasing us in Iman. You're increasing us. And you're actually increasing us with things to show people that this is not the word of a human being. That's the whole point. Okay. I want to also say something else. Uh, I also shared on social media the observation of a kid. Just a youth who went to Qatar. And he said, the, the Muslim culture looks like they figured something out in not having alcohol in their gatherings, right? And that they're very generous. So, yeah, that's, he's just talking. He's not making a like, philosophical statement. But what I'm noted immediately is that, no, you cannot, I, I challenge you, get any civilization, any group of people, okay, to collectively not use alcohol without a sacred source, a sacred commandment. It's impossible, right? It is impossible. And even the other people who share the sacred with us, they don't do this. Like Jews and Christians, they have a concept of sacred. They drink, right? Um, I remember in college, I had to go right here, right there on College Ave, I had to go and write a paper on the Sabbath. So I went to one of their events. And it's basically at Asr time, they have a huge dinner called the Seder, and then by Maghrib, I think it has to be over. It turns out, I think I was with conservative or reformed Christian or Jews, and like the lights were still on. I was like, "Is this? Are you are you allowed to have that?" Right? But he, he, they, I sat there, I ate the meal, and they warned me though, this there's alcohol in this, right? And truth be told, is that some of the un, they they turn a blind eye to the under eighteen, right? And they just let them have a sip, right? And so. Uh, but they drink. And of course, Christians drink. You can't get hundreds of thousands of people to avoid alcohol without a very deep-seated faith that, that is strong. And that's really the, the testimony here, right? Go and try to, try to do it any other way. It's not going to work. So he's like, oh, they figured it out. I know he's just using an expression, but the truth of the matter is no human beings would do this. And no human beings would give up their wealth and give charity the, generously and I'm not going to make a comparison because some people may say, oh, a lot of cultures are generous. But we have to admit that you go to Islamic countries and they're absurdly generous. Did you know that one time I got pulled into, I got in some trouble in Saudi Arabia? Just innocent trouble, really, because I didn't know certain rules that you could not travel without the, your passport. Like, you have to move inside the country. I didn't know this, right? So I just got on a bus. I didn't make Umrah, got on a bus and went to Medina, right? I didn't know the rules. And then uh, they said, uh, I was like, I don't know, 19 or 20. Where's your passport? I was like, it's in the hotel. And 
he's like, um, what hotel? I was like, I pulled out the key, room key. I was like, I don't know, the hotel that's like right next to the library that's got a brown building. I, I don't know, it's a hotel. I got the key. Everything's walking and taxiing, so I didn't take an address, right? They're like, oh, they're your problem. So they booked me. I'm telling you, this was like getting booked by your uncles. I got booked. I'm in the, I'm in the thing. And the guy, and it's like, it's like a Monday night. Nobody's doing it. Nothing's going on in the Medina Police Department. He calls me in. There's food. All the cops. They're police officers, right? And I'm supposedly like some th- someone under suspicion. I'm eating. He, they're feeding me, right? And we're sitting around literally in an office drinking tea, talking about America, all that stuff. And then they're like, well, all right, let's get down to business make sure you're not a spy, right? <laughs> and then... Um, I had to describe the hotel. Then they're, hey, what's the brown hotel look like that's across the street from this gate? And then they finally faxed over my passport and, and they let me go, right? They didn't even let me go, like, without anything. Like, do you have money to get back? And I'm like, subhanAllah. And that's what Sheikh Hashim said. All of his entire life, uh, uh, journey into Islam was the generosity of the people. You cannot inculcate this without a faith. That The faith is very simple. There is a creator. He will provide for everybody. Never have fear of giving food away. That's how simple it is. But you have to have this. The challenge is not in getting this in one person. It's in millions of people. Generation after generation after generation until it seeps into a culture. That's the key. And that's why I personally would put a measure that a community that understands Islam, that has imbibed in, in uh, taken Islam to heart, What's the word? Imbibed, imbued, <laughs> the the embodied. That's really truly embodied. This dean is that community that's going to be friendly to you before you're friendly to them. Yes, everyone's everyone's like this. People who don't have anything are still generous. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like this, and in they, rich countries in Europe, you don't get that same thing, <laughs> bro. So. We saw what that Scandinavian. <laughs> yeah. You know, that study about the Scandinavians, how stingy they are. And it's like, and not to put people down. If I didn't believe in, in Islam, if you didn't believe in Islam, if you didn't believe in Allah, and, and when you're weak in faith, if your iman, if your remembrance of Allah is weak, okay, you're not going to share. If you're, you're wondering how I'm going to pay my bills this month, you're not going to share, right? It's a very simple concept. And it's all about remembering that Allah Ta'ala is there. He's the generous. He will provide. It's guaranteed. And the Prophet said, look at how much he's provided for the animals before you. The fish have all eaten. The whales are eating. Everyone's eating. There's no worry about provisions. And this, this obsessive fear from secular people that the world's overpopulated. It's not overpopulated. Distribute the wealth properly. Your guys, your, your capitalism is a belief, the belief aspect of capitalism is the problem. And by the way, the Marxists also have that false belief aspect that there's a limited quantity of everything, right? That's their idea. They've been saying there have been limited quantities of everything for every generation. Every generation there's like, if you go back, it'll say coal, we're on out, of, out of coal. There's plenty of coal in the earth. We're running out of trees. By the way, I don't buy this anymore. Right? 
What's better, using some trees or all our kids' eyes are bleeding from eight hours on the screen? Get them books, right? Get them books. The kids cannot, their eyes are red. And all the testosterone of the boys is going down because of the blue light. I look around. There's plenty of trees, <laughs> right? Yeah. That you can destroy it, right? You cannot destroy it, but yeah. 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 It's complete arrogance, and on top of that, if we if think just think logically, if we are actually destroying the earth, stuff would happen that would eliminate us, right? If you're actually destroying the earth. You're destroying yourself. So the earth will cleanse out us before anything else. So that's the idea here is that uh, it's generosity. It's, and that's one of the, the nicest things I like to hear about the, the World's Cup commentary. Is I like to hear these comments that um, women went there. One woman went there and she said that she felt safer and had a more relaxed time there than in any other European country that she went and attended a game. Where she And she's like, my father would not let me go to Qatar, she says, according to that, how she says it, uh, without, without him. Because she's all into, like, um, women for soccer, stuff like that, right? So she goes. And then they're like, I don't even need you, Dad. Like, she, she, she's like, it wasn't even needed because... Nobody was bothering her. People weren't harassing her. So that's good. I, I can't say that would be the case for all Muslim countries, to be honest with you. Uh, Egypt, Syria, these places, they have some, some craziness there. But uh, it, it's nice to hear that stuff. That's it. And when someone says, oh, but they built it with slave labor. Are we going to just, what is this, a tit-for-tat thing? I don't know how they built it, right? All I got, the person's testimony in front of me. That's what's valuable. Right, and you think everyone else is some kind of innocent, you know? When the Olympics was in China, are they innocent? Right? Of course, anyone who runs a government is gonna be grimy. That's just a fact. Who cares about the government? What I care about is the people. That's what Dawa to me. Dawa is the people. It's not the governments. All governments are gonna be grimy, in one shape or way or other. So, in any event, that is item number two under our belt. Item number three is that we we have the passing of Sheikh Abdurrahman al-Kittani. Let us read a little bit about Sheikh Abdurrahman al-Kittani. Rahimahullah, he's passed away, and he's pictured here a long time ago with his sons in one of those... Uh, that's Abdul Hay. Oh. Throughout his extensive travels, the father, Abdul Hay al-Kittani, the Kittani, it's a family of Ahl al-Bayt in Morocco. It's a big family that uh, they are from Ahl al-Bayt and they tend to have a lot of scholarship in their family. It's a blessed, blessed family. So Sheikh Abdul Rahman al-Kittani there on the left. Um, he would request the pre- preeminent scholars of his time to grant him and his children authorization in hadith consequently sheikh abdul rahman received general authorization for a number of le- from a number of leading scholars such as ahmad rida khan al-barelwi hassun al-nawawi 
أبو الخير عابدين يوسف النبهاني بدر الدين الحسني أن محمد بخيت مطيع He had one of the highest chains in hadith If a chain is short, it's called high If it's low, if it's long, it's called low Imagine it, you're writing on paper The, the entire chain starting from the Prophet ﷺ down And then the short chain you'd stop The long chain you'd keep going So the short chain is high on the paper And the long chain is low on the paper That's what they call Ali and Nazil uh, he, so he was a he was a sole destination for transmitting Jamia Tirmidhi okay there's a lot of uh, he was a living legend celebrated for his high chains in hadith more widely recognized as the last surviving son of arguably the most prolific transmitter of hadith in the 20th century Abdul Hayy al-Kittani. That's the father who's there. Abdul Rahman al-Kittani is his last surviving son. This is the picture of them in their home in Fes, Morocco, alongside some students of knowledge. Despite his deteriorating health, he was gracious enough to let us... This is the website. Um, they're talking about how they, they talked to Abdul, Hayy, Abdul Rahman al-Kittani before. Okay. He was born in 1919. SubhanAllah. 1919 he was born his father was his biggest sheikh he read and heard Bukhari to him six times Muslim Muatta Al-Fiyat Al-Iraqi Al-Fiyat Al-Iraqi is such a beautiful work in hadith especially if you get a good sharh on it okay and he also heard from his uncle Muhammad Ibn Ja'far Al-Kittani Sheikh Abdurrahman Al-Kittani studied Maliki law theology, and other subjects at Al-Qarwiyyin. Throughout his extensive travels, his father, Abdul Hay, made it a point to request all the preeminent scholars to give him high ijazat, meaning short chains. He narrates Bukhari through 18 links, okay, which is currently the shortest relied-upon transmission of the Sahih through unbroken audition. Okay, One of the chains is Abdul Rahman Kitani from his father Abdul Hay I'm not going to read the whole chain for you here and he has it written here he got images of the handwritten authorizations this is so important because that's how we know our religion is sound the transmission of it is sound okay. that's how that's why it was so laughable when the Christian that Christian preacher used a painting made 1400 years after Jesus to bring any piece of information about Jesus because like do you have you ever heard of a primary source before right a painting that means absolutely nothing so it's like uh, someone wrote a poem about the prophet for now and and someone taking it seriously like a poem describing the prophet or a painting of the prophet it means nothing to us there's nothing there there's no chain right Unless you're, you're using some evidence. During one of his pilgrimage travels, Sheikh Yunus Janpuri got wind of Sheikh Abdurrahman's presence during the last during the Hajj. With the help of his students, Sheikh Yunus undertook the arduous journey to obtain authorization of hadith from him. He would later boast that he met a student of Muhammad ibn Jafar al-Kattani. 
the author of Al-Risala Al-Mustatrafa. Given how active and engaging a host he was, he actually sang poetry with us. He seemed much healthier than would seem his age. His state was reminiscent of Sufyan ibn Uyayna, who lived in the time of Imam Malik. His observation that anyone who pursues hadith will have a glow on his face as evidence of the Prophet's supplication. May Allah brighten the face of the one who hears my words and preserves them until he transmits them to others exactly as they heard them. Subhanallah. That is amazing. That is amazing. We need some maqra'ah here. We need a maqra'ah. Maqra'ah is, it's not an explanation, it is literally just re- the shaykh reading you the hadith and, you, and exactly how it is. With only just if it's a, str- if a different word and he explains it. We need that here. That's part of our religion, is this maqra. And these gatherings are extremely blessed because you keep saying, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and you're reading the hadith of the Prophet, sallallahu exactly how it was heard. He had poor health and other factors, so getting an opportunity to read hadith from him became very difficult. Sheikh Yunus once aptly observed, scholars maintain that hadith audition, sama' was a form of rizq. It's a source to gain wealth. In other words, a source in which Allah supplies you with rizq. And so that's the end of... Um, he, he would listen to hadith and point out subtle errors even after the age of 100. SubhanAllah. Adhim. SubhanAllah. And, and when you read these, see these hadith masters, it's amazing. Hafiz Ghulam Yasin, right here in Jersey City. How if you read to him a hadith from Sahih Muslim, he said, yes, but from so-and-so's transmission... It doesn't have this word from so and so's narration. It adds this word. Is it encyclopedia? Yes. Uh, this winter, we should ask him for Muatta, which is one of the shorter books. That's why we not because we're Malikiya, but because it's one of the shorter books. It has about eighteen hundred and ninety entries. The Muatta Bukhari is close to seven thousand entries. So, um, I'm down with that. This winter, we, we could do that as a Sunday activity. We'll probably be at Hajj, but you guys could run and do it, inshallah. All right, next order of business. Affairs of the Ummah. What are the affairs of the Ummah besides the fact that our Ummah is now... I mean, I have never heard the Arabs make such dua as I have heard in the World Cup. I got to be honest, Right? Have you? When was the last time you heard tadarru' bid-du'a? Like tadarru' This is tadarru' there, You cannot describe it as anything less than Great, great Listen to this This is tadarru' bid-du'a Right? Now on the one hand It's nice to see people making du'a On the other hand It's a bit worrisome That uh, the game evokes that right that isn't it worrisome a little bit like uh, your heart is so attached to a game that sort of worries me a little bit to be quite honest with you hey Esmai do you know how to get out of the split screen I got I don't know even how I got my iPad onto a split screen let me see okay do you ever happen to you okay okay so let's let's paste this what you sent me but am I right? Like it's I, I and and I don't uh, personally when I see people just having fun, I don't like suddenly get serious, 
right? Because it's just, yeah, do you ever hear the expression, read the room? Everyone's just having a good time, right? Fine, okay. Yeah, don't, don't bring in something so serious when the whole platform is just relaxation and entertainment, right? Some people love to be that person. I know. They and love to be the person that just ruins it. Yeah, totally. And bringing something, a comparison, so serious. Like, for example, someone, uh, whenever I share these things, just like for the fun of it, and someone says, I wonder if he ever made dua like that for Palestine. And it's like, are you kidding? Like, do you, you, you understand that for every gathering, every situation, there is something that is appropriate to say and not appropriate to say. And in the sense that you don't go to people who are just literally just unwinding and suddenly bring the drop a bombshell of seriousness. So whenever I share that stuff, it's in the spirit of just like, it's just interesting, funny almost. To me, it's, it's, it's nice to hear drop, but it's also sort of comical. Uh, You have a problem. Just upset. If you're upset about it for just like an hour after. Yeah. 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 You'd be upset for a couple of days. About it for like several days. Yeah. But as you get older and you start realizing there's, you know, bigger pictures, like this yeah. is not important at all. No, it's you're not important. More invested at all. than the player who probably walked away from the game. Totally, but he's just like, all right, I'm just gonna go back to my mansion and yeah. I mean, (laughs) I mean, the player, the player, unless like he's got something personally to achieve, they win and lose all the time. Big games, they're getting paid either way, right? right? So, um, but the question of someone's asking the question is making dua for lahu bida. Oh, okay, because I don't think it necessarily (laughs) it's bida. I think it's maybe. But at the same time, we're taught to, I don't know, I don't want to say like, but we're, we're yeah. taught like essentially to, to be in remembrance of like of a lot, all the time, all the time, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think, I don't know, there, I don't, it doesn't seem to me there's a bad downside. If we're going to talk about rulings, uh, the industry of sports would not exist if we followed the rulings of the Prophet, because the Prophet forbade the mingling of prize money for games, all right? right? You would not have an industry because the players wouldn't get paid. But what if you just paid them a salary to play? That's not prize money, right? Is it? It well, it's like it's different if you say if you win the World Cup, you get X amount of money versus like you get this no matter what. It probably lahu is not a form of risk in Sharia. Lahu, you'd probably have to find a loophole maybe in the Hanafi school. I think that's what they do, <laughs> because I, when I said to my uh, Sheikh studying this in Akhrab uh, Masalik. There's the Prophet forbade prizes for all games except war games by the military, assigned by the the government, the ruler, so that the the soldiers are like bored out of their mind. Nothing's going on, and no one wants to be a soldier. You do you train, and then finally, when it's come to action, you die. Right? What the heck? So uh, the Prophet said them permitted and even encouraged war games. So like archery for in our day and age, shooting, like the best shooter gets this much money. Right, horseback. Today, maybe I don't know. Maybe cars might be a bit dangerous, but some kind of anything that's a tool that's used in war. That the government establishes this as a as a contest, because what it does, it encourages people to learn the 
the, the skills needed to defend their country. And say when people say, oh, you're a very militarized country. I said, listen, if you're speaking English, don't talk. You are more militarized than anyone else. And we wish to be more militarized than you. There's nothing wrong with I would want all, if you had a kingdom, wouldn't you be happy that all your people could at any moment be drafted? You're like, you feel strong about that, right? Wow. So we have no shame in that, militarized, right? So to that then, can we, can we say, can somebody make the argument that having sports, even if it's not military related, yeah. encourages a population? Of lahu. No, no, but, in, but also you can make the, the opposite argument where the more people are into sports, the more likely they'll play it themselves, which puts them into shape. And it puts them into shape, in shape, but their mind is not game. into shape. I mean, that's, that's, a, whole, that's a societal thing too, yeah. right? So you can... Yes, you can have sports without making it such a because we we've made sports into this multi-billion yeah. dollar industry, right? And we and we think it's such a big deal. But yeah. I think having sports in general and encouraging that, like even some kind of, like a lot of countries have a sports ministry, right? Youth and sports ministry and all this stuff. You have to. You got to be in shape. People. So like you just won't have this ma- a war game. Yeah, isn't it better to be in shape at all? Because let's say, like you said, let's say a country needs to draft people. Even though they might not have to know how to shoot a gun, you've already skipped the step of like being in shape. We just now teach, not teach you how to shoot a gun. As opposed to, you don't play sports at all, now we have to get you in shape. Well, <laughs> keep in mind, the prohibition isn't on playing the sport. It's about the business of sports. Right. Okay. The prophet did not want this as a business, as an industry. Because look what it does to people. you got grown men. Like and and, uh, and and this is not like we're actually become the Debbie Downers now, right? But I'm just saying, if we're going to talk Dean... Because some people bring in the dean when it comes to this. If we're going to talk, it wouldn't exist in the first place, right? But when you live in in life, when something exists, you're not changing it, right? I don't see that there's, you know, it's 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 not necessarily like something that you have to shut down because in in light of the alternatives that people would be in. So we say, oh, okay, so you we don't look at a million things with naked women. All right. We're going to you're going to say no about music. Okay. Now you're going to say no about sports too. That's way too much, right? So in light of actually living the way we live, okay? There you're we're always choosing what is the lesser. Right. So if you want a kid, do you want a, if your kid is going to be up hypothetically. Hopefully he's not having any of these cases. But let's say would you rather him be obsessed with like pornography or sports? So would you rather him be some weird person who does not bond with any friends or someone who's all about playing basketball and soccer and football where at least he's bonding with other guys? Right. And we use that in the masjid, right? In the masjid, uh, the sports is like the biggest thing. Now, playing sports, I don't think is an issue because right. there is the benefit of health. It's the watching and following up with the players and filling your head with absolutely useless knowledge, Right. If, the, if Imam Malik said that learning lineages of the Arabs is a useless knowledge, imagine learning stats, right? Knowing stats. But it does goes to show, go to show how, how vast their brains are. It's like, you, you youth, you can give lectures. Wallahi, they give lectures. I've seen high school kids who can't even tell you which way is up give you a lecture on why is it that Russell Westbrook is actually not the reason the Lakers are tanking. Durus, right? <laughs> With Adilla, evidences. He'll tell you, well, this game they lost by 30 points. He didn't even play. He's got Adilla. He's got evidences. All right, let's read here. 
Um, more World Cup news. Let's read this World Cup story. Palestine is more than an Arab cause. The World Cup has demonstrated the eternal connection between the Arabs and the Palestinians. Okay? Palestine has been all over the news, this, uh, this World Cup, because obviously the Arab countries feel emboldened to go out with the Palestinian flag. So... Um, I'm sure that some Westerners are saying, oh, the Palestinian flag is out, but the gay flag is not. You say, yeah, because not everything is equal, right? We don't believe in things the same way that you do. Simple as that. Go put the Palestinian flag out in an an NBA game or an NFL game. You will not have a career. When those poor Muslim guys made sejda on the Kansas City Chiefs, guess what? Their career ended a few years later. Not even, I think, way less than that. They were pushed out of the league. Am I mistaken that they were pushed out of the league? I'm sure uh, they were pushed out of the league, right? I, I think they were pushed out of the league like because they, they were pretty good. There were two defensive players for uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, and they made such the, the way the European soccer players make such because half the European soccer players, they're from... You know, it's, it's a very popular thing to do the such in, in In the video game, you know what they call that move? Oh, wow. Uh, They can't call it the prostration, yeah, they right? Call that, they call it something else. Kiss yeah, they, the ground or something like that. They, they kiss, they kiss, uh, the, kiss the turf. Kiss the turf or something, yeah. yeah. It's funny. We were mistaken, this article says, to think that Palestine represents a central issue for all Arabs. Such language suggests that Palestine is an external subject to be compared to other collective struggles that consume most Arabs. The ongoing celebration of Palestine and the Palestinian flag at the Qatar World Cup 2022 by millions of Arab fans compels us to rethink our earlier assumption about Arab people's relationship with Palestine. Let me just give you another zoom out real quick. I think that soccer was invented by England, right? And the World Cup was founded by England, right? And England only won one World Cup. But the truth of the matter is that England, at least when they were the empire, they won every World Cup because they got all of you fools devoting all your attention to this contest while they're colonizing your countries, right? That's basically the the joke of... Like, that's how I view these sports that... England spread most of these sports, right? Um, cricket. They have a massive World Cup and... Oh, we beat India! England... The, 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 whoever... I think that... I don't know if they did this by, uh, by design, but they must be laughing, right? Because here we are actually working and colonizing you people and you guys were playing a game. If we were ever to get serious about sports, that would be my take on it. England, whatever the world order, is winning all of these. Because we don't even believe in these borders, by the way. There's no difference for us between Morocco and Algeria. There should, that border should be erased with a pencil. Libya, Egypt, Sudan, erase all these borders. Jordan, Syria, erase all these borders. So that's why I actually don't like these flags going up. That's just the serious aspect, but in the moment, I don't really get into that. <clears throat> The starting point to my argument is Rome, not Doha. In August 2020, 2021, I attended a friendly football match between Morocco's Raja Casablanca and the Italian team AS Roma. Thousands of Moroccan fans accompanied their team. Although fewer in numbers, their matching outfits, songs, chants, and group dances in the stands made them more visible than the rest because they got that awesome red and green flag which sticks out. 
Although the environment, by the way, what dance was that by the Moroccan player? Which one? The duck. Oh, it's apparently something it, that he does with his teammate. In, uh, is that a thing? His Spanish teammate in uh, back in Spain, and so oh. because he his Spanish teammate wasn't called to the Spanish squad uh, oh, by himself for himself. Okay, just, I don't know. But it was a strange thing to do for the... It had a deep meaning behind it. Yeah. Apparently. I didn't know that. I just like, I thought, and then like somebody posted, somebody posted about it later saying like, oh, it's because his, his oh, team his wasn't called up to the Spain squad, so he did the celebration by himself. I didn't realize that. Okay. Well, that's, what they, that's what they were saying at least. And it was an interesting celebration. Yeah, at least. a lot of... You've never seen that before. But. <laughs> Although the environment of the game had little or no political contest, Moroccans sang for Palestine. And wore Palestinian kufiyas, that white and black that symbolizes their fishnets and other things. You know that white and black, it symbolizes the fishnets and everything. Draped with the colors of the Palestinian flag. It was a heartwarming gesture. I love to see it, to be honest with you. Typical of Arab fans at football matches. And you're not going to see that from the Egyptians. No offense to the Egyptians out there. We have been, our, in our country, it's like brainwashed, almost anti-Palestine. I'm telling you. That's the vibe I get from watching, seeing Egyptian news and hearing Egyptian people. That's, I think, still only is only in the elite class, though. Only the elite, you think? I, I hope so. I, I still think maybe those. I, are the I think if anything, I this this World Cup and even on a larger scale, it's indicated that maybe it's revived there's, it. There's, there's a you know there was that tide of normalization yeah. that was going on. Yeah. I think this just showed that that tide is not reflective of good. the populations. Right? That's good. Even Morocco is one of the countries that normalized, right? But they've yeah. also been one of the people. That's why you got to separate between governments yeah. and people. They've also been one of the fans who've been most prominently, you know, singing Palestinian yeah. songs. I mean, so it shows there's a huge disconnect. Yeah, there's a big disconnect, and and I hope that's the case. But sometimes when I would go to old relatives' house and they got the Egyptian news on, yeah, it, they're literally anti-Palestinian. It's disgusting, actually. Yeah, yeah it's, it's disgusting. Very, yeah, they've convinced people that. Yeah, almost they've like com- they, they should, convinced they side with Israel almost. Is yeah, they've like convinced this? them that all the problems in Egypt are caused by the Ikhwan and the Palestinian yeah, refugees. And Syrians. And now Syrian refugees. Syrian refugees are just jealous because they came in and within three years they're doing better off than you. Because they work. They wake up and they work. But the Egyptian person himself is not guilty of any reason, for any reason that why their country is backwards or anything. No, they're not guilty. It's the Palestinians. It's the Ikhwan. If a light bulb goes out, it's the Ikhwan. And I'm not even, a, I was never even like, I never followed it. I don't even mm-hmm. know what they're all about. Yeah. Like, I know what they're all about, but the details of what's happening, I don't know. I couldn't tell you the names of the founder, of the leaders today. I couldn't tell you who's in jail, who's not. I don't follow it, right? But it's just sort of silly to me. Oh, Ikhwan. Oh, Ikhwan. And when Ikhwan was like the moderates of the 90s, yeah, almost liberal in a sense, because they're open to democracy, etc. They were like the, the acceptable version of the 90s. Now... The Overton window keeps moving over and over and over. Now, eventually, Muslim will itself be a, a, a bad thing. In any event. As the fans began leaving the stadium in larger numbers, I realized that the very fan culture of Raha Casablanca was modeled entirely around Palestine. Their main slogan is Rahawi Filistini. Raha, uh, uh, Raha, Raha, the team, were Palestinians. That was their word. That was embroidered on their jerseys, subhanAllah. So the owner of the team clearly is imprinting. This is like the anti-Robert Kraft. Is <laughs> Robert Kraft, the owner of the New England the Patriots, he's a big Zionist, right? Which your entire career in terms of the New England Patriots 
was launched on a Saturday night, right? On a Saturday. It was launched on a Saturday before sundown. I'm pretty sure it was before sundown, that epic game against the Raiders, right? You were working on a Saturday, Mr. Kraft. Anyway, by the way, he is a great owner. As an owner, he's the best, right? Set aside his politics on Israel, which it's expected. He's He's a Jewish man, and his dad was like almost a rabbi or something like that. So, but as an owner, he's one of the best. Uh, considering the absence of political contest to that match, clearly the Moroccans did not see Palestine as a message to be communicated using sports as a platform, but they have internalized it to the extent that it's an integral part of their everyday reality. That's that's great. This is amazing. It should always be like that. <clears throat> when I asked a group of Moroccan fans on why they embraced Palestinian symbols, the question puzzled them. They said, Palestine is in our blood. The love for Palestine is in our veins, a man said, overcome with emotion. SubhanAllah. Can you tell me and look up on your phone who designed that Palestinian flag? I think all these Arab flags were designed... They were all these Arab flags were designed by a lazy designer who, from the after Sykes-Picot. Hey, Rai, could you type in and get us an image and type in all Arab flags... All these Arab flags, it's a lazy designer who like had three minutes to come up with all the flags. So he's like, all right, green, white, black with a red stripe. Green, white, black with a red triangle. Look at that. Here it is, Sharif Hazel. Copy that, paste that, please, and, and put it up. There's like two unique flags. Everything else is red, white, black. Red, white, black with green stars. Red, white, green with a black triangle. Is there anything? I think it's... All right, tell me. So this, is, this is actually interesting. I didn't know this. Origin of the Palestinian flag was designed by none other than Sharif Hussein, who led the Arab revolt against the Ottomans. Sharif Hussein, who led the Arab revolt against the Ottomans. Okay. And this was in 1916. Yeah. Palestinian people raised it as the flag of the Arab national movement in 1917. And then finally in 1947, the Arab Ba'ath Party interpreted the flag as a symbol of the liberation of un- and unity of the Arab nation. All right, look at these flags that are up on the screen. Algeria, I know, it's a nice flag. Saudi, why'd you put the Shahada? That flag is going to be on the ground. It's going to take the Shahada off the, the flag with some respect, right? And, and actually, they did say that the Saudis said we're taking the Shahada off the flag. I think it's for secular purposes, right? Because all the behavior indicates they want to be totally secular. But that is actually something I would agree with too. Shahada does not belong on something you wave like that, and then it goes on the ground, blah, blah, blah. Okay, Morocco, all right, nice flag. What is that? Tunisia, nice flag. Qatar, okay, it's something. But go from the top left picture there, under that, and that whole second row, and the one on the third row in the left. It's all the same, right? Uh, What's going on here? It's it's interesting because I've always... There are three that are literally, sixth graders could have done a better job. (laughs) I'm interested in who's the blue with the white star. Who? Oh, the Uyghur flag. Okay. I thought they have a Hilal. I don't know why it's a, why it says Arab though. Anyway, what is the the Mauritanian flag? That's not bad. What is that flag with the red, black, and green and the crescent? What is that? That's Libya. The one next to Lebanon. Yeah, that's Libya. Okay, that's nice. Gaddafi had the green, the solid green flag. Nothing. Yeah. This was pre Gaddafi, and they brought it back after Gaddafi was I have to say, I think um, aside that. Which one? The blue one. The blue one, the star. 
The blue with the small is, yes. is, is Somalia. Okay, yes. yes. And the Uyghur is the crescent. Yeah, they have a crescent. Yeah. I like that one. But it's too soft for Somalia. Like, that's like an artist look. Somalians aren't like that. They should have like an axe or something, right? The Somalians are tough. It needs to be brown and black or something like that. Like, the Somalians are not, don't come off to me as light blue. Carolina blue? Baby blue. Baby blue? <laughs> this is like well, the opposite of your personality <laughs> completely, right? So, uh, you see how what I'm talking about? How that's why I'm not a fan of these flags. I just don't, I see them. They represent to me. Okay, they represent to me the Sykes-Picot agreement right. of the splitting well, up, you know, yeah, the splitting then, up of the Arab countries into these borders that we don't even believe in. They, they represent um, nationalist movements rather yeah. than, like, if this is why also, like, I still like any flag that has a crescent and star on it, like mm-hmm. Tunisia, Turkey, Pakistan, Algeria, they all have yeah. crescent and stars because I think it still has that, the primary symbol of Islam, Yeah. what's considered in a worldly sense not yep. a symbol of Islam but that's this is they, they even like we support the Palestinian flag now because of what it stands for now yeah but in its origin yeah like it, it represented something else mm. and like and, and it represented an anti-Khilafah movement an anti like the, the, the crescent no, the, no the, I mean the, the red and black actually, yeah, yeah because it was made by yeah. somebody who essentially fought the Khilafah because he thought he should be the I got you, yeah. And, and that's who the British, the British are the ones who whispered in his ear, like, hey, you should, you know, you should do this. That was the whole Lawrence of Arabia thing. Yeah. So that's where a lot of these flags originate from. In the early 1900s, they come from, they're kind of supposed to represent like nationalist, Arab nationalist yeah. symbols. Which and they're like, it's like the blood of revolution. Yeah, exactly. Blood of revolution, and the, like white What's peace. the black? Black is like, I don't know, I think something about struggle. Strength or, or something or, like that. Or, and then purity in between. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so none of those, all those red and white black flags... Yeah. They rub me the wrong way. I like the... Um, in terms of all these countries, Pakistan is special to me. It's like explicitly founded as a place for Muslims, yes. right? No matter what all the nonsense that goes on with their... Again, what do I care about their government? The regular person, mm-hmm. right? The intent. The Islam there is a very deep part of their identity. Whereas you, don't fi- you do find in Egypt an escape from this. And they'll say, well, we're Egyptians. And they'll go back to the, the papyrus and the pharaohs. The pharaohs would have enslaved you. You're weak, right? The, you have nothing to do with the pharaohs. Right. You, your name is like Hassan, right? Your name is Amr, yeah. okay? You have nothing to do with the glory of the pharaohs. And that was a pagan glory. Why would you go there? But they do go there. And you could see that the Egyptian tourist companies and all that, they spend so much on promoting and, and, and polishing off the pharaonic mm-hmm. element. So that it, that's not a good thing to me. And well, they did that whole... Uh, procession from the old Egyptian museum yeah the that did an eight mile procession yeah with like pharaohs and yeah and with that. Fer- that's like are you <laughs> insane do you want to get like Adab of Allah come upon you <laughs> uh, but nothing like that for the masajid of the Salihin yeah. like Masjid al-Shafi'i is just a place of beggars and it's broken down yeah. no repairs or anything Every, like everywhere that everywhere where there's like a st- when I went to the, I went like I made it a primary thing to visit like historical yeah. Islamic sites and it is it's so usually the poorest places yeah of, Unkept, like uh, you they're know, completely like, unkept. The Islamic history is not yep. cared for. Whereas, so there, there's a dual identity there, or an attempt at a dual identity. Uh, Pakistan does not have that. It's like one identity, right. and it's made. We are not Hindus, and we're. And if I was in the, at the time, I'm very surprised that there were any that there was anyone who was against the partition. Right, you have to have your own country. 
Um, the Arab opinion on Israel. Multiple studies have been conducted to gauge Arab public opinion in recent years about the importance of Palestine. Most notably, the Arab Opinion Index Survey conducted by the Arab Center for Research Policy, blah, blah, blah. The poll found that 85% Arabs oppose normalization with Israel. Indeed, the Arab people remain clear on their allegiance to Palestine. No Arab country deviated from this rule. Um, Jordan Peterson, what did he have? An, he had an episode with Netanyahu recently? Did he? He had an episode with somebody. People are telling me, you got to watch it. And he's like discussing the existence of Israel. The fact that you discuss this, the existence of Israel, that is a terrible sign. From 1948, and we're now heading into 2028, 80 years soon, and it's going to be in our lifetime, it's going to be 100 years of Israel, and we're still talking about it, you've lost. Just the fact that, like, I don't care if you negate it all day long, you're still saying it, Right? Anybody who says Israel has the right to exist, you, you're digging your own grave because you're saying it, right? Um, Maham says he did meet the foreign minister. Okay. Okay, so I have to watch this. Oh, the foreign minister. Yeah. And A.W., but doctor, didn't you say that last uh, time that the scholars were against? Yes, some scholars, they were against it. I wouldn't know why they were against it. Like, what was their... I would feel like um, that you definitely have to have, you cannot be majority Hindus. They will do what's happening to you now. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. It's different than like partitioning the Arab states, which are all Muslim. Yeah, they're all, they were all Muslims. But now you're saying, okay, well, Muslims, yeah. I mean, I mean, look at Pakistan today. They've, yeah. they've accomplished a lot in a matter of what? Exactly. 75 years. I don't know what uh, Jordan Peterson did, but all of his tweets in the last week were all about like how dead against he is anti-Semitism. Everything is anti-Semitism, blah, 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 right? Because you can be anti-woke all you want. You'll be fine. Yeah. On YouTube, you'll come back. They'll bring you back mm -hmm. as long as you're a Zionist, right? It's not like we're here uh, trying to be anti-Semitic or something like that, but... When they go way over the top, that shutting down any criticism of Israel, that's why these guys exist. They exist being anti-woke, anti-LGBT, anti-trans, because he's a Zionist, right? Sophia, yes, he is back on Twitter. Jordan Peterson is back on Twitter. All right, let's keep reading the story. The Qatar World Cup raises new questions, not about the centrality of Palestine to Arab political consciousness, but whether the representations of Palestine are merely political and whether Palestine is just another issue to be juxtaposed with other urgent Arab issues and causes. I don't even know what he was saying there, to be honest with you. You know when someone writes something that it's not really... Even the Israelis, with their much-touted intelligence agencies and supposedly good grasp on the mood of the so-called Arab street, seem confused and angry as they rushed to Qatar to report on the World Cup, and they've been getting rejected and embarrassed. All the, Every day there's a new I clip of someone pushing away an Israeli reporter. It surprises me that they are surprised. I mean, yeah. What did you expect? Like, I, I don't know what the propaganda machine in Israel is doing compared yeah. to people that the Arabs are somehow on board with Israelis. Mm -hmm. But like, this is... You, and even the, the Israeli Prime Minister, before the World Cup started, told yeah. Israelis to keep a low profile because... Yeah, friendly territory. Like, it's not friendly territory. territory. It shouldn't be friendly territory. Yeah, you should, you know. yeah. But. 
However, two Israeli reporters, Raz Shechnik and Oz Mu'allam, returned to Israel disappointed. You tone deaf? Like, you're not aware what people think here? Failing to connect the dots. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Failing to connect the very basic dots between Israel's apartheid and military occupation in Palestine. The Yedioth Aranot journalists have reached this convenient conclusion, despite believing, as open-minded liberals we are, that the conflict with the Arab world is between governments and not the people. Wait a second. Your people support your government. What the heck? Qatar has taught us that hate exists first and foremost. Yeah. You do hate the oppression and everyone who identifies with the oppression. You cannot separate between somebody and their sin or their deed if they love, if they identify with their sin. Like, I can't love the sinner and hate the sin if the sinner loves his sins and he identifies with it. If a guy comes in here and he with his head down, and I say, what's going on? He said, I keep falling into drinking alcohol. I love him, right? He's te'ib. But I don't like the fact that he's an alcohol. And another guy comes with his head up and a big Budweiser. You know, I'm for Muslim, Muslim alcoholics. Support Muslim alcoholics. I hate that concept. Therefore, I have to hate you because that's your belief. Like, you want this. You, you're all about this. So anyway, again, all these little games they play. Oh, we, they hate us, blah, blah, blah. It's all about hate. If the two reporters reflected on their own reporting with a truly not self-proclaimed open mind, they would have found some clues. I like this. Whenever we report, we are being followed at all times. A Palestinian, Iranian, Qatari, Moroccans, Jordanians, Syrians, Egyptians, Lebanese, all giving us looks full of hate. Do you expect it to be loved? wrong with you considering the deep political divisions that presently exist among arab nations one wonders why ordinary people from vastly diverse arab and middle east nations are united in hating israel and loving palestine the answer does not lie in the word anti-semitism but in representations israel represents something to arabs it represents a history of western imperialism colonialism military occupation racism violence Political meddling, military interventions, wars, more wars, daily images of handsome Palestinian boys and girls killed by Israeli soldiers, violent Israeli Jewish settlers forcibly expelling Palestinians out of their homes and farms, political arrogance, and much more. Palestinians, on the other hand, represent something else entirely. They embodied the unhealed wound of all Arabs. We should say, and Muslims. Courage and sacrifice, because I guarantee you the Indonesians... They love Palestine. Yeah. It's there too. Uh, and they're probably the furthest country from. Like, What is the furthest Muslim country? It's probably Indonesia. They represent courage. They represent the refusal to surrender. They represent resistance and hope. Most Israelis are unable to grasp the organic relationship between Arabs and Palestine simply because they refuse to accept their country summons such, that their country summons such negative feelings. Contending with this reality would mean deep and uncomfortable reflections. The likes of Shechnik and Malam would rather explain such a complex thing through a convenient reference that they just hate us. That's just like George Bush. They just hate us, right? They're either with us or against us. Yeah. And they hate us for our freedoms. Yeah. Okay, so we like to go around being unfree. The Arab embrace of Palestine. You know why I don't, I don't worry about Israel and Palestine? It's just a matter of time. 
It's one gener one generation, two generations, three generations. Eventually, it's just by law of history, law of the world, you will produce a generation of incompetence. And you will cause your own demise. And it just has to, you just have to wait when that happens and the ascendancy of a competent generation. And we believe we will not be given victory without taqwa. Mm -hmm. And the identity of those liberators will have to be ibad of Allah. Mm -hmm. Not Palestinians, Arabs, okay? Servants of Allah, okay? When that happens, it, that's, it's bound to happen. Like it's bound to happen. You can't stifle Islam so much and you cannot, as Israel, just produce, constantly produce a solid generation with no immigration. So why is it that America has produced a lot, right? Because we have immigration. So the waves of American innovation has not been carried by one group of people. Like the wasps were the achievers for a while, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, Okay. They've been taken over, like they're now a symbol almost of like lazy wealth, mm -hmm. right? And also, like the worst, their worst case scenario are like um, the dregs of the Republican Party, the so quote unquote deplorables that Hillary Clinton called them deplorables. They're fuqarat masakin, right? Mm -hmm. And the image of them is like the big overweight white tourist. By the way, I'm not. I'm just saying this. I'm not all about throwing out white 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 i like what alex said on twitter today he said anytime someone says white people replace it with jews and if you would cringe at it right you know it's propaganda okay so i'm not all about that uh i'm with maliki click on this it's a type of a racism that muslims have accepted because the white forefathers attacked you so you think that you can now just sweep them away and 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 just have these blanket terms against them like there aren't Muslims amongst them that have feelings. We don't generalize. But I'm just telling you that that's, uh, that's the view. Um, I don't even know what I was saying. What was I saying before this? <laughs> I, remember. I go so deep into a tangent. I don't remember where I came from. The is right? really a decline over time. Okay, so eventually, the, the, the white Anglo-Saxon Anglo Protestant, who was Carnegie, J.D. Rockefeller, Henry Ford, these, these legends of innovation that built the modern world. They literally built the modern world. Okay, Thomas said, all these guys. Now, that next generation is going to be a different people. And now we're going deep into the immigrants. When you go to Silicon Valley, when you go to any um, medical innovation, it's Chinese, it's Indian, right? So immigration is very important. Well, Israel doesn't have that. You just got one pot. No new group is coming in. Because when new groups come in, and by the way, after World War II, Jews. It's all Jews. From World War II onwards, every great, every industry has been, they've achieved the best. They've revolutionized. They've done them like in design. Like all these logos, all these logos, CBS, all these, it's one Jew. I love New York, a Jew. In design, in tech fields, in media, in everything. They were hungry. Like just beaten down in Europe. And they're hungry, right? So now that's gone though. Now it's Indians and Chinese, right? So you need immigration to constantly refresh your blood. But Israel, it's, a, it's like a pot 
that you don't take the cap off at all. It's eventually the mold, right? It's going to mold. You have too much wealth. You are going to rot. Your youth will be rotten. And your extremists will get more extreme. Like the extreme right over there is so extreme, okay? And their extreme left is now so pampered. You just have to sit back and watch. Okay. It's just an inevitability of reality. It's going to happen. Okay. All right, next he says, the Arab embrace of Palestine is not only about Israel, but it's about the Arabs themselves. Though the Palestinian flag was itself inspired by pan, the pan-Arab flag. See, there it is, of 1916. I'm against it completely. I hate the pan-Arab flag. I hate the pan-Arab movement. Explain to me, pan-Arab. When was the last time Arabs did something by themselves? The Sahaba. That's literally it. The Sahaba, maybe two generations. But from the Abbasid time onwards, the Arabs had by them the Turks, right? In terms of the deen of Islam, the Persians, like the knowledge aspect of things, the Persians, the Islamic West, Berbers, right? Arabs have not done something by themselves for eons. And they failed at this too. A miserable failure. Yasser Arafat, that's your guy? That's your guy that, that ends up rising to the top as being the representative and of that. Even that, they didn't do it by themselves. The Pan-Arab movement was... It was a fraud. It was a British idea. It was a British idea they to separate you, to break yeah. you up. You are fools, subhanAllah. It's unbelievable. Are the British that smart or are we that dumb? It's a mix of both. It's a mix of both, I think, yeah. The fact that Arab football fans in Qatar have spontaneously chosen, without any official instruction or government intervention, to use the Palestinian flag as their symbol of unity speaks volumes about the Palestinians' position in collective Arab consciousness. It all, I'm telling you, as nice as this news is, it's still sort of, you got to put it in context. We are winning at making noise in sporting events. We're not like we're in the UN, right? We're still really at the bottom, but it's got to start somewhere. It also tells us that the love for Palestine is not a direct outcome of hating Israel. Nor is it that the Arabs view Palestine as a symbol of defeat or humiliation. When Moroccan player Jawad Al-Yamiq celebrated his country's national team victory over Canada, thus guaranteeing the advancement of Morocco to the knockout stage, he raised a Palestinian flag. In the background, Moroccan flags chanting for Palestine and Morocco. For them, Palestine is not an external cause, and their cheers are not simply an act of solidarity. For them, Palestine and Morocco are synonymous, describing the same collective experience of defeat, struggle, and ultimately victory. All right, so this is by Dr. Ramzi Baroud. Okay. He's the editor of the Palestine Chronicle, and he's the author of six books. Our Vision for Liberation, Engage Palestinian Leaders, Intellectuals Speak Out. Uh, let's see what he says here. He says, He's a non-resident senior research fellow at the Center for Islam and Global Affairs. And his website is ramzibarud.net. Let's check it out since he has supplied us with this article. Let's check out what it's all about. And I'm telling you, all of this, to me, no matter how much you yell and scream, it's meaningless without the identity of Ibadullah. The Quran tells us this many times in Surah Al-Isra. This land will only be established by people who are avid worshippers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Anything else is just a waste of time. It's nice, it's just, but to me, you cannot, I'm not saying that he's not like this. I don't know anything about him, right? 
I don't know anything about him, but I'm just saying that that is necessary. He's got a big um, blog here. The Unbreakable Bond. Okay. Between the Arabs and Palestine. That's a nice thing here. He's got another Unbreakable Bond. This was the, the FBI... Um, about America and Israel, also describes that as an unbreakable bond. His, he tweets a lot. He says, Western media wants us to believe that the strong political stances taken by Arab countries, neutrality in the case of war, growing closeness to China and Russia, lowering oil output, are done solely to send a message to the West. He's, so, have you heard of him, by the way? No. I mean, it looks like it's interesting to, 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 to look what, into. Uh, Ramzi Baroud. I'm on his Twitter now. I'll share, I'll share you his. I'm saying the article that you read was from what's it? Five Pillars. Oh, okay. They put it up. Interesting. All right. Let's go to the Q&A section of our talk today. Let's start. Um, let's start with the, with YouTube. If you have a question, put it down because I'm not scrolling up. Okay. Have you guys spoken about Indonesia law changes? No, I didn't. You want to look that up for us? Indonesia law changes. Khalil Hamza, assalamu alaikum. A popular YouTube channel held a debate where a person claimed that to do a homosexual act is not haram. That is uh, ridiculous. Asian laws uh, criminalizing. I saw that earlier today. I forgot. What did they criminalize? Criminalizing premarital sex. Criminalizing premarital sex. So God's law, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. A lot of people are not going to like that, but tough luck. Anza and Amal all tell us, explain why the Somalian flag is is blue. Is because they have the longest coast in Africa. Is that what it is? Yeah. Honestly, change it. Make it black with like a... With a blue star. No, make it black with a pirate on it. That's the best <laughs> thing they did one day. I, I love that. Somali pirates. They were, they were amazing. Guys in flip-flop, 30-cent flip-flops, right? And went around taking these massive ships. It's illegal, I know that, but it's an accomplishment. You can't deny that it's not an accomplishment. They had the guts to do it. I personally loved watching that in, in the sense of just... The entertainment aspect, not knowing that it's huh? That movie? No, just the the, the, oh, the that that they were doing that trend. Yeah. I was like, it's amazing. They're taking like multi-million-dollar oil tankers, right? Is drinking medications with alcohol haram? Is there that? It is. If it makes you drunk, then yes. If a lot of it would make you drunk, then yes. If it's completely transformed, that's a whole. That's a different subject. Like, for example, cough medicines and stuff. How many years was Sayyidina Adam? A long, many, many years. Why Arabs have stopped keeping the beard? Because they want to be like the British and the French. The same reason they have that ridiculous green furniture and stuff like that. Remember that stuff? That was like all French. uh... What are the seven methani, says Sophia? وَلَقَدْ آتَيْنَاكَ سَبْعًا مِنَ الْمَثَانِ وَالْقُرْآنَ الْعَظِيمِ سورة الفاتحة سورة الفاتحة سبع المثاني سورة الفاتحة yeah. Are you supposed to break, says Moab, 
Fard salah, when your parent calls you out? No. And nafila, you shorten it quickly. But here, here's my question about banning premarital sex. Well, you, the government only runs the public sphere of life. Right. So, in what way would they... I guess you can't openly have... like You can't openly have... Like a relationship. Would they understand that? Children, I don't know. Like children between non-married people are illegitimate or something. Yeah. yeah there would be rules on that. Like even here, if you, you see... People who are not married who are together, there's an understanding that they're... Okay, so if you reported in the hospital that I'm the dad and you don't have a marriage certificate, then what do they do with you? They lash you? 40 lashes. Where's my man? Or in the doctor, in the healthcare practices, they always ask like patients, like, are you sexually active? So yes. In that case, you would say no if you don't want to get punished. Interesting. Let me get my minute first of all. My man, hold on. Where's my man? Hmm? I'm looking for my man. I'll give you, I'll give you 60 lashes if you don't get off that bed. Love this guy. I don't know. Ask, ask, this, ask yourself <laughs> that, right? <laughs> get known for something else. It's either piracy or famine. I'm sorry to say, but that's the truth. I'm telling you as someone who doesn't follow Somalian news, right? So if you want to have a global, if you want to know what your global uh, reputation is, ask people who don't follow, right? Like me. Hilarious. They're laughing. Why are we only known for... It's a great reputation. <laughs> what, what, what is Safina Saidi? We're pirates, man. Gangsters and rebels. That's... In my mind, at least. Enzi, I think I saw articles saying that people's parents would be the ones who would have to report them. Yeah. What behaviors fall under fahisha? And fahisha is all the sexual prohibitions related. Amal says, we love our blue flag, but we're not proud of the piracy. They got greedy. Yes, maybe on the on your side of things it was viewed as like bad for the nation, but on our side of things, it was cool as heck, right? You got these guys in a like tugboats, like little mini boats with one little motor at the back, and managed to take over massive Saudi oil tankers and all that stuff. All right, Aisha Davies says, sorry off topic, random, but wanted to say MBF lives and so on have been really boosting my men. Allah Akbar. MashaAllah. May Allah Ta'ala let us give Dawah, Amma, general Dawah to the Ummah until the day we die. That's what we're here for. Lily says, hypothetical conversation. A sister was told she had, that she choose her career over her faith by choosing to study medicine and become a doctor because she sees men too. You have to look in every profession of being a doctor on how to do it without khalwa and unnecessary touching of doctors. But did she choose something over her faith? We cannot say that because there are many shiuch of all persuasions who have daughters who are doctors, wives that are doctors. How do they do it? They, they, they are doing it. Sheikh Hatim al-Hajj, he has family members, females who are doctors. Is he going to allow her to do something haram? Right? 
So, um, no, I don't. That's too far off to say that. What can Muslims do to support Palestine in more ways than making noise? To be honest with you, it's just spreading the belief at this point. We're at the bottom. Just the belief in the identity. There is literally the doors of action have been closed for us to, that I see. I will say, though, one of the, the, the occasionally promising things that you see is whenever there is, like, especially in Ramadan when, when Israel goes into Al-Aqsa and you know, does all, you know, yeah. starts fighting and scuffling with all these Palestinians and beating them up and whatnot, you always see this huge return of this massive wave of Palestinians making you know, huge salah at Al-Aqsa. Yeah. You know, and then you see this crowd that just spills over for streets yeah. and streets, which is... I guess you could say it's a promising sign that there is the response to mm-hmm. that violence is to go and pray in larger numbers, yeah. right? Even more than you normally would. And so you see this huge turnout. And, and I think that's that's one good thing, right? It's, uh, it's also keeping that the, the identity of Aqsa yeah. as a holy site. Uh, keeping the aspects. It's all, it's all mental and, and spiritual at this point. There's literally no action to be done. There's no, you can't do anything. It's all about identity, passing it on. The, the belief, keeping the belief in your heart. Uh, that's what I see, personally speaking. I don't see any other other avenues. But also, the identity has to be done right. If uh, it's as Sheikh Sharawi, many scholars said, it is as Allah said in Surah Al Isra, this house Al Aqsa will be liberated by people who are described as worshippers. So marching, yelling, Habib Omar says, when the Dajjal comes, meaning that the end, the forces of evil are never concerned about who marches and yells. Who cares, right? They're not caring about how loud you are even about Islam. They care about who is avoiding the haram, who is serving, who is working, who is doing ibadah. That's the one that they worry about because that's the one who has his, his, his top of his, like a glacier, right? The, the bottom below the water is deep. It's deep. And the top is only a little bit that you see versus the one whose top is high but does not care for this subject of ibadah, right? And and publicly and openly, we submit to Allah and we worship Him. I think like, it's got to be part of the identity. You've said something this before because people say, "Oh, well, what about like strengthening military and strength and, and political?" And I think you said something to the effect of a while ago. You said something to the effect of, and I think almost all scholarship would agree on this: is that you strengthen your iman and you strengthen your deen. Yeah. And all that will, will happen as a result of that. If you strengthen yourself as, as Muslims and as a global yeah. Muslim community as national Muslim community whatever it is eventually you'll begin to straighten out every other aspect of your life your political yeah. aspect your military aspect everything will be straightened out you'll become a military power and become it'll a grow a political power and a social yeah. power everything this, this is all as a result of it right? so it has to, Iman has to be the driving factor it has to be to, it has to be that driving factor it has to be submission to Allah and we're doing this for the sake of Allah Saudi has so much money Emirates have so much money but where's their where are where where's their attention where is what are their beliefs? And they have militaries too. I mean, they got militaries. They get trained here. Why do you think the Americans are training them? Because they know where their heart is. It's not against them. It's not against Israel. It's not against. It's not for anything except to protect their own wealth. Uh, Samu says, "Can what's written down in a law al mahfud be altered due to du'a?" Yes, it can be. There's two alwah. There's two places where destiny is written. There's Ummul Kitab. And there's Allah al-Mahfud. And Allah has only allowed people to see Allah al-Mahfud. And He's allowed dua only to change it out of rahmah. 
and to show his rahmah to the people and to, to encourage us to be active, not passive. Don't be someone who's just passive, right? You have to be active. And the active is the active is that I'm not going to sit there and try to guess, oh, maybe it's good for me, maybe it's not, maybe Allah planned it, maybe it's not. That future is not your business. The ghaib of Allah's knowledge is not your business. Allah wants to see what you're going to do. He wants you to make a decision. Ask people, think, consult your heart, make a decision. If you make that decision, there's no looking back. I'm doing this, it's happening, discussion is over. Oh, what if I made a decision that's bad for me? You can't have that hesitation. You cannot have that hesitation when you make a decision. Uh, Arabic, arcview.org, we teach Arabic, uh, but not spoken Arabic. We try to get you to read. We try to teach people to read. So go to arcview.org and that website uh, will soon be um, complete. And ArcView is going to be experiencing a massive expansion very soon. It's been a couple months in the making. Okay. This question says, is it true that there is now more Muslims in Spain than there were in 1400? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I don't think that's true. Uh, let's go to this question. How do you differentiate between major and minor sins? There's no set way. Some scholars said what is defi- what is prohibited in the Quran is major. What is prohibited in the Sunnah is minor. Some people said that. Some said what is prohibited either in Quran or Sunnah specifically is major. And if it's in general, it's minor. Like what's a minor prohibition? Uh, being rude. Like, like what is rude? It's general. So... Things like that. Muhammad says, Isn't it better to give sadaqah for ourselves rather than for deceased parents as we should try to raise our rank as possible? In in both of them is goodness. It depends on your situation. If your parent, you had a parent that you know that they were not um, exactly having a good record in their deeds, then it's better to do it for them. And Allah knows best. But you get the reward anyway. And you do it for the parents, you're going to get maybe even more reward, right? Muhammad Saud, long time, starred member here, is still in concussion protocol. So, may Allah Ta'ala give her a speedy shifa. You should do salat to be 300 times a day. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Allahumma salli wa sallim ala Sayyidina Muhammad al-Tibbil. قلوبي ودوائها وعافية الأبدان وشفائها ونور الأبصار وضيائها وعلى آله وصحبه or وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد طب القلوب ودوائها وعافية الأبدان وشفائها ونور الأبصار وضيائها وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم أم مريم says can you invite Sheikh Ahmed Arshad خليفة of ذو الفقار أحمد نقشبندي resides in New Jersey yes I met him once I'm right did you go yeah, Ahmed Ali took me one time. Yeah, I, I, I really found him to be such a sweet and deep scholar. Where is he in New Jersey? We're a bit boisterous, but he's in Edison. Is, uh, and he his he, he made a part of his house into a like a little zawiyah where he teaches people. Have Western imams become too compassionate? And if so, does that risk the practice of Islam being watered down? Well, I think compassion is a good thing. Truthful 
is the better question. I don't understand how compassionate could be a bad thing, but truthful or misplaced sympathy is is an issue for sure. But are we saying the truth about what this dean is and isn't? That's the right of people to know. And you also need to, it's the idea that you have to be just in where, who are you compassionate with, right? Are you compassionate with whoever, wherever the liberal crowd is going or wherever the majority of people are compassionate with? That's not, you have to have more clear, a more clear view than that. Um, We have to be, it's all about more like the truth, right? It's what is the truth? And that's why in khutbahs, I like to say all the time that there's this new Islam that has rendered God to be almost like Jesus, running after you to be your friend. And I sometimes I have to, I, I, I feel like that's misleading the youth because it's not giving them urgency or people in general. So I like to say Allah Ta'ala has ayahs in the Quran which show He does not need us. He's not running after us. But who is Allah running to? He's running to the one who's running to him. That's the beauty of it. He's, he doesn't need you. There's as We'll break your back. We'll boil you. Whoa. This is serious. He's not playing games here. We'll fry you. Right? So he doesn't need us. And it, the, the torture of us and our pain, it does not move the creator if you deserved it. Right? If you brought it, if that's what you want, you want to go against him? All right. He'll be just dropped in the, like a piece of chicken in the deep fryer, right? You'll get deep fried. That's like scary. That's stuff that will make you move. If you have Iman, you will move. Now, there's the other part of it. If you come to me walking, I come to you running. That really just melts your heart. If you come to me one hand span, I come to you an arm span. That's what you want to spend most of your time on. Those hadiths. Who is Allah Ta'ala going to uh, turn away from and punish like this? The one who wants to turn away from him. So you just have to ask yourself, whose side are you on? That's the end of, at the end of the day, it's, everything's binary. Whose side are you? Which side are you taking? You taking Allah's side on things? Or are you taking Iblis? Because that's the war here. Uh, so it's not the war that Iblis is waging war on Allah. It's Iblis is waging war on the message that Allah has brought. You can't wage war on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're, that's just a futility. So we have to also talk about that stuff. But it's not for the mu'min, salih, muttaqi, ta'ib, someone's penitent, trying to be righteous, trying to believe in Allah. In his heart, he loves the truth, right? Those ayahs are not for that person. Those ayah, the, the ayahs, Those ayahs are for the people turning their back. Amina says... Her name is Amina Ralsdorf. I embrace Islam in Norway. MashaAllah. Alhamdulillah, we don't believe in inheritance of sins. Maybe it's a moral responsibility to make as you can wrong right. And I was deeply disturbed about what happened. I think I missed something here in the discussion. Um, Isabel Saqat says, How do you deal with fellow Muslims that have doubts that you might not have the knowledge about to answer? Learn what they're doubting and you go study them. Study them so deeply that it just becomes part of your second nature and the answer will come out of you. Okay. Apparently there are now 2 million Muslims in Spain. Wow. 
1492, there were 500,000. Okay, if you're only limiting it to 1492, yes, there was only Granada. Yes. I think, as a, as a, but, I think meaning as a percentage, there were probably more Muslims, right? Yeah. No, but he's saying 1492, oh, the when they were all jammed oh, into yeah. Granada. Yeah, that, that's fine. Yeah. yeah, that's for sure. But when there were Muslims in like 100,000 year, years before that, probably not. So, mashallah, uh, this sister became Muslim in, in Norway. Okay. The best thing for the Scandinavian countries is when they're, you know, because they have a lot of history against Islam, but when their people themselves enter Islam, they're going to be confused. So the best thing for the issue of France, for example, and all their hatred of Islam, when regular French people become Muslim. When Jacques is wearing a kufi, right? <laughs> John Rowe, I know many Palestinians, and they said that, please visit Al-Aqsa. Yes, I'm all about that. All about that. Abdullah, would you believe that if Allah gives an opening, no one can take it away? That's totally true. And he could put someone through university loan free. It is possible. You can find a way. So one thing we can do is visit Jerusalem through Jordan, says John Rowe. Yes. Chief Latif. I think he might be trying to get our attention. Uh, a friend wants to know how to deal with going to a wedding where there is music. You just pop in, say salam alaikum, and then pop out. Go pop in, say salam to your grandma, pop out. Feel all the people who are going to be upset if you don't go. Reed and Nassan says, what is your opinion on secular success coaches? They can work yeah, by teaching you how to prioritize goals, techniques of staying focused, I don't mind any of that stuff. I do think they have value um, with that. But there are things you have to make sure that you don't fall into, which is things that put power in your hands okay, um, excessively without believing that, that the power was with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's all the law of attraction stuff. The main flaw, what is correct about it is the ability to harness your attention on one thing that's going to help you achieve it and the ability to convince yourself that you believe in something that's also fine but the ability that you are the force that is attracting this we say well we have to put a caveat there we are not anything and therefore what we have in the truth that's been transmitted throughout the generations of our religion is stronger because it actually you're weak and Allah is powerful. So if I rely on the power of Allah with ibadah and dua and ta'a, far more can be achieved with less stress from us. So there is something that's, that is a natural observation. It's whatever you want to call it. It's a natural observation. These people on YouTube are not the first people to discover it. Every civilization has this concept. In every single civilization, you can find people who said, I set my heart on a goal. I really wanted it so badly. Nobody could tell me otherwise. And then I achieved it. Achieved it. My own sheikh has said this. And he has quotes. Not, he, I don't even know about these Law of Attraction YouTube people. right? But he talks about this. That it's, your, it's called in Arabic, Al-Himma. And he says about it, Al-Himma tullati tahsulu fi batin al-insan tahsul lah infi'alat takunu fi batin al-insan tahsul lah infi'alat fi shu'un al-kawni min hawala. He says that the himma that happens inside you, your desire, your want for something that happens inside you, it affects the world around you, right? 
how Allah, it's just an observation. And he cites Umar ibn Abdul Aziz and he, many other people that they put their mind to something and they stick with it, right? And they never take no for an answer and it happens for them. So, but he said, it happened. what happens? Allah answers you when you have that commitment. And Allah does not answer the person. So who, who do we say does it? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. With, with what? With your himma. So it, that is an aspect that's correct, and, but couched in the bigger picture that it is only Allah has the power to do all these things. That's the important thing. All right, so that was the answer for, for Gids. Can we make suggestion on who you should invite? Yes, why not? Put it out there. Do you have a gender-segregated university? Not all of our classes are, are gender-segregated. Some of our classes at Dar al-Fat are segregated, some not. Uh, it's not a university. It's like we're still chopping, t- putting together a college here. I mean, segregated, like segregated in the sense that they're not sitting next to each other, for sure. Yeah. How do we deal with self-proclaimed scholars? Uh, challenge them. Go. Go get a following. Go write the books. Make a method. Right? It's not as easy as you think. And learn yourself. Be a, someone who learns yourself. Tantanum one, is choosing a method necessary to be a better Muslim? No, it is necessary if you want to be a student of law. Because you will have to study one of the methods. You cannot study all four at once. That's not how anyone ever does anything. You don't go to four medical schools at one time. You go to one medical school. And the way you study a method is you study the biographies of the shiuch and their methodologies, and then you pick one. My dad is in a coma, says Jennifer, in the ICU, COVID pneumonia. May Allah Ta'ala give him a speedy shifa. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadin tibbil qulubi wa dawaiha. Wa afiyatil abdani wa shifahi wa nur al-absari wa diyaiha. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. May Allah give him speedy shifa. A.W. is true that Sufyan al-Thawri struggled against his intention for 20 years. It's true that many, it's a saying, I don't know about which scholars attributed to, but one scholar said, I struggled against myself for 30 years and then I, I found success if you can work in a place where there is a lot of women or you can migrate to a more Islamic country like Qatar, Saudi Arabia it depends on everyone's situation is different for example it depends on uh, your family like do you have a mom and dad here that you would be leaving to die alone um can your family, your immediate family, bear the burden? Can you even get residency in those countries? When you get residency, you're going to have to come back because they don't allow kids to go to high school there. Non-Saudis, non-Qataris. Okay. Who's here, right? Okay. Hmm. Okay. Oh, Suhaib, Bawan. Mm, dream interpreters. Someone mentioned, JR says someone mentioned politics the other day and you recommended Sheikh Asrar. He said in a Facebook that he thinks he would make compulsory to read the following books by Sheikh Abdul Qadr as Sufi. Okay, we'll see. The Khilafa, the return of the Khilafa, a Sultaniya. All right, Technique of the Coup de Bank, a letter to an African Muslim, different books he's saying. Okay, interesting. 
Hamza Hussein, would it be considered haram to go to Israel if you're visiting the Aqsa? I can't say it's haram to visit Al-Aqsa. Some of the Arabs had a boycott, but I don't think that boycott's any good because what you produce is a generation with no connection to Aqsa. I think it was a mistake. And what did it achieve? Nothing. What's the best and comprehensive detailed tafsir in English? Nothing that I know of that is a full tafsir. There is Ma'arif al-Quran is good by Taki Osmani's father. And then there's Qurtubi only has Surah Al-Baqarah, this tafsir in English. When cycling, says Z, what is the position on wearing lycra, skin tight, covered to the knees? We don't consider lycra, skin tight to be coverage in the Sharia. So put something else over so you're not skin tight. Invite Alex. I would invite Alex, but he works in the day. What is the sunnah of cutting the nails? Every Friday morning, you cut your nails and you start with your right index shahada finger and then you cut the rest. That's the sunnah every Friday morning to cut your nails. Should we as Muslims, says Abdullah, be involved with these right-wing and left-wing politics? For example, support BLM or support Jordan Peterson? No, I don't think we should be involved in either one of them. They're both based on secular ideas anyway, so it just so happens we're support some of their issues over others. That's it. Medni 786, if a person has doubts after lots of kabair, he prays regularly, not openly becomes kafir. Does he have to take the shahada? No, sins will never cause you to have to take shahada. But constant tawbah, constant tawbah, constant purifying your sins, constant doing ibadah to wash away the effects of the sins. Okay. Oh, JR, correction. They have seven volumes of Qurtubi Tafsir now. I didn't know that. Jalalain, yes. So thank you for that, JR, that they have the whole tafsir, or the seven volumes now. Some guy says, you don't need to wear anything skin tight. I wear shorts above my biking pants. Good. John Rowe, would you think of scholarship? What do you think of Khalid Abu al-Fadl? He's a reformer. He's got his own ideas. In fact, with all my respect to him as a person, I think some of the ideas are a bit wacky. He's not somebody who's ever raised generations of them in the masjid. So he's free to have all these ideas and not actually see their implementation in a mosque. Right? That this is not going to work. But, I mean, I respect him as a person, but some of his ideas are, are just... He's, he's purely an academic, right? He's purely an academic and he's a reformer too. Like, like makes his own heads on things. Is there evidence in the sunnah for finishing the Qur'an after a loved one dies intending to give him the reward? There's a general concept that you may do deeds and send the reward to that. All the four madhabs accept that. You intend that the, the reward of this deed is sent to him. Can you make dua for all the students who are taking finals? Chief Latif taking finals in systems management and other subjects that who knows what they're actually studying but may Allah give you all tawfiq but he is listening to the nothing but facts live stream rather than studying right and then, and we know he would rather be here we know that as a fact is Kanye West the least evil presidential candidate probably the most majnoon is he has he officially lost it what presidential yeah I mean I think that he's been diagnosed for years because he 
as someone who's involved in high-level corporate sponsorship, to not know about that you can't say anything good about Hitler, you, you must have entered a delusion level. Do you have a course on ArcView, says AK, which discusses contemporary to- topics, which Muslims have today? No, the contemporary topics we usually study, the, we talk about them here. And the classical subjects matter. The building of a student is, is there in our, on ArcView. That's usually how we divide it up. Moab, is it better to give sadaqah for yourself? Oh, we, we answered this question. We answered that. But when you give sadaqah for, and you hope the re, pray for the reward to go to your parents, that is sadaqah itself, too. So, what is the correct adab of praising the teacher and the shaykh to themselves? I think that we make du'a for them is the best thing. And they like to hear how much, I think any scholar would love, any person would love to have heard that their work and their effort rubbed off in a good way. And I've seen one person turn to Allah and say, Oh Allah, uh, if this is true, then I use that as a wasila to you, for you to answer my prayers, which is nice. Aisha Davies says, Regarding the Madiki Madhab, why is, is it not the most followed Madhab? Despite being the school of Medina. If it's too big an answer. No. Common sense has just been spoken, ladies and gentlemen. She's asking a very commonsensical question. This is the origin of the whole thing. Even the Kufan scholars, which they later became the Hanafi Madhab, they had to admit when they come down, the Medinans know the Quran better. They know the Sunnah better. They know the sayings of the companions and the Tabi'een better. So what's left? Analogy. And what do you use for analogy? Don't you make analogy on the Quran and Hadith? Like the analogy, you got the new matter, you have the, ori- the old matter, and you have the original ruling. Who knows the best about the rulings, right? So um, she's speaking common sense, and we don't know the answer to that. Is The answer to that is mainly that the non-Arabs tended to always follow the non-Arab madhab, which was the Hanafi school. And they were in the sense that Abu Hanifa was there. He was close to the lands of the Persians. Persians actually were Shafi, but it settled that it ended up becoming that the Turks and the Indians had the two greatest empires, right? And they spread the Hanafi school with that, right? Uh, with their empire. So that's why. And the, the Arab West is where the Madiki Madhab settled and was not diluted by anything else. And the Arab West really never went east. They never conquered eastbound. But we're here really um, pushing hard to spread this method because like, it's like absolute pure water. Because you're going straight to the source. What, what's, what do I have to do with Kufa? Do you see why I'm conflicted? Yeah, you're conflicted. <laughs> still, I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> I guess you got to go Madiki then. I know. <laughs> but your kids is the question. Yeah, Make the deal that, all right, you stay Hanafi. I'll be Madiki. Kids have to be Madiki. How's that? Or boys Madiki and girls Hanafi. That's a fair deal. That is a fair deal. It'll work now because it'll be one and one. Huh? It'll work yeah. now because it'll be one and one. That, that's a fair deal. But first, propose the, put it down that, no, this is it. Me and the kids. Now wait a, a couple days. If that gets vomited out and doesn't settle well, then you go for the split. Right? I'll take the boys, you take the girls. That's a total fair deal. But I'm, I'm serious that this madhab 
it's not just a madhab of fiqh, it's a aqidah of tanzih. An obsession with tanzih. Obsession. And an obsession, it's a tasawwuf, an obsession with the Messenger Absolute obsession, right? With his sunnah, with the Prophet ﷺ, salat upon him, respecting him. Shifa of Qadi Ayyad. Where did it come from? From the Madiki lands. And they all read it now. Aesthetically says, I keep associating a close family member with a sin that I know they committed and it deeply disturbs me that that's how I think of them every other day I see them. How can I deal with this? You say the dua, May Allah forgive us and him. And you, you always just remember that every one of us is on the same boat of committing some sins, just at different levels. And how would you like the Prophet to view you? You would like the Prophet to view your good side and not your bad side. If that's what you want, do that for others. You would want to hisab with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah view you based on your good deeds and not your bad deeds. So if you want that for yourself, do that for others. Force yourself. Brainwash. You got to learn how to brainwash yourself. You know how to brainwash yourself? You, you, you should never negate something. Only affirm. Right? And only affirm the displaced. So if I say, for example... I don't want to be, uh, uh, I don't want to think bad of so-and-so. You just keep telling yourself he's, he's good. Instead of don't think bad, right? So negating in, in, you know, in your mind all you're actually doing. Wow, I'm watching Ryan do his homework on the, on the yeah, screen. Yeah, he like just double-spaced that thing like never before. Ryan's got his final homework assignment. I'm watching it. I'm him doing his homework on the screen. I've been watching this all time. His, homework, his final homework which is some paper, and he has like three paragraphs. He just font and double space that thing to become four pages, right? That is a complete... <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Ryan is on his, his last paper in his college career. Then he's all ilm after that. But anyway, back to what you were saying. Don't go for the negative. Don't negate, okay? But, and then it's just a matter of putting it down in a simple phrase and then repeating it, repeating it, repeating it, repeating it, until you start feeling the effects of it inside your heart. Can truth exist outside the four madhabs? For example, any of the positions of Ibn Taymiyyah on three divorces adopted by the councils of Egypt or Jordan. Um, we don't, uh, the thing is that the three divorce issue is Ijma' Sahaba, right? And the nature of a fatwa is that it may be true and it may be incorrect. And so the reason that we go, it's not about what is true and what's not, it's about what are we permitted to follow. We're not, what are we permitted to follow? We're permitted, we, we're commanded to follow that which has most certainty. Okay? That which has upon it the, the, the most certainty. Because we're all human beings, even the Sahaba, and they're making an ijtihad. They're using their intellect to determine what, what does Allah want from us. So when it comes to these speculative, vanni matters, the question is not like what's going to be true. The question is going to be, what are we allowed to follow? What should we follow over the other? And the answer to that is that we should follow that which has the most, the more, reli the more reliable of the two scholars. And if you say, okay, they're both reliable. Well, which one has more reliable scholars than the other? 
Okay. And that's what we would go with. Because the more minds come to the same conclusion, it eliminates biases, vulnerabilities, ignorances, and things like for that nature. Okay. So it, it's very similar in many walks of life, right? When you, when you take advice about something extremely important, then you're going to look at, let's say your kid has cancer. One doctor is saying, go straight to the radiation. Another doctor is saying, go straight with the chemo. I don't know what to choose. I'm not a doctor. And now I'm going to go to now another doctor. And he says, no, 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 radiation. Another doctor, no, 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 radiation. Another radiation. So seven said radiation, one said chemo. Me, as a non-doctor, my lens is what is most worthy of following, not which one of them is right, because I don't know which one. I'm not a doctor, okay? So that's the framing should be which is most worthy of following and which is most responsible of to preach, okay? Preaching, publicizing something is haram to publicize something unless there is a strong basis of scholarship behind it. And that's what they call in the madhab al-muftabihi, that which the fatwa is given by. We give the fatwa that has most of the scholars behind it. So if you got eight oncologists on one side and one oncologist on another, you got 800 fuqaha on one side and one on the other, which one are you going to... Forget the question of what's true and not. We're not judging that. We don't have the tools to judge that. But we do have the tool to judge what is most responsible for us to spread to the people. Spread to the people what's been tested. Tried and tested. Okay? And act upon what's tried and tested. I hope that, that clarifies the answer because it's a very important question. Muhammad Munam says it recommends it to pray which what how is it four o'clock? Wow. Is it recommended to pray wit and tahajjud and sunnah prayers while traveling? Wit, yes. And the sunnah prayers it's your choice. We have to stop here. I didn't real, not realize it's four o'clock. Okay. A Lodi, she talks about studying philosophy at uni, and I, I would say taking some of these religion classes, Islam, at university is like probably even haram. I took Islamic philosophy. Like yeah. When I got to Rutgers, oh, it was nonsense. Yeah, you're not allowed to sit and take Islam from somebody who's a kafir, or an, or, or a murtad, or whatever. Who taught your class, right? It, he was Egyptian guy. I, I don't know what his state was, but like, you know. He would wear like a polo with the buttons halfway down. It was just so nonsense. Odd. The, the, yeah. Ash, the Ashaites and the, the <laughs> and the Mutazilites yeah. and all this stuff. No, it wasn't. There. I only take Dean now from somebody that is gonna. You want to be like that person? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. All right, there's so much stuff here. Um, I wish I could continue, but that was a good question about AK can truth exist outside the four schools, and I hope I answered that. Uh, why did the prophet tell elderly Ansar to dye their white beards that to make them look younger for war, right? To go when they go to war, when you see a bunch of white beards, you're like, oh, these guys are old. We can defeat them. So he died, they dyed their hair for that reason and that reason only. I'm confused about people referring to Maula Ali. Could you explain his status a little? Why some gatherings sing his praises? Maula Ali, never heard of him. I say Ali, Ben Abi Talib. No, Sayyidina Ali bin Abi Talib is one of the greatest Sahaba. Uh, fountain of the Ahlul Bayt. Okay. AK says, despite being Hanafi, we need more Maliki Muftis in the West. 
second that. Mustafa Zia used to do a series on the ODF from Afghanistan, 100%. Okay. Wow. A Hanafi admits, I had a dream and I asked a sheikh, which madhab is closest to the practice of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? He said, you will find it in the Muwatta. Yeah. Beautiful. Wearing the tasbih around your neck, if it feels you bring you unwanted attention, no. If it's just for accessibility, that's it. If it's to, if it's to be, you know, whatever. It's just thrown on your neck if it's for use, but it's just to be, to try to make yourself part of some group or something. That's just, I would say, not really a mature thing to do, but I mean, what they call the CDs. But I, there's there's nothing on that, honestly. There's nothing about it to or for, or for or against. All right. Thank you all so much. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk. Wal asr. Inna al-insana lafi khusr. Illa al-ladhina amanu wa aminu al-salihat. Wa tawasaw bil-haq. Wa tawasaw bil-sabr. Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Let's go, let's go,